Scripture today is from Exodus 3, 1 through 17. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, Amor the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppose them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to him, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This, and he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to, him, say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is God's word. So thanks, Vicki. Uh, morning, everybody. Uh, so my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Redeemer City. And we are in uh, week two of a new series on the book of Exodus, and so I would direct your attention to the insert uh, in your worship folder. On one side is the passage that Vicki just read, and on the other side is uh, the outline that we'll be walking through. Uh, and as we begin uh, what we're calling a year of grace uh, at Redeemer, we want to grow in the wonder of grace as we look at uh, the book of Exodus. That's the idea. Uh, you'll see that each week in the sermon series. Uh, and if you've had a chance to grab a uh, set of uh, memory verses, you'll see it's the year of grace. Uh, and so that's what we're going to kind of hit over and over and over again. Now, you remember 
Uh, and if you weren't here last week, just by way of review, <clears throat> how do we get here? How do we get to this place where Moses is tending the flock uh, and gets called uh, by God? Back in uh, the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50, uh, you have the, the end of the Joseph story, and Joseph says, uh, I'm about to die, but God will surely visit you and bring you up out of this land. And so there's this promise that he makes uh, to his descendants, the descendants that grow numerous, uh, come the first chapter of Exodus. Uh, and, and you need to remember that. He's a God who keeps his word. He's proven to keep his word throughout the book of Genesis, and he'll continue to do that. But that's the, that's the phrase, that's the sentence that's ringing in the ears of their descendants. They had to have heard that again and again. God will visit us. God will visit us. He'll bring us up out of this land. And so as the book begins, they're increasing and growing stronger, and that unnerves the powers that be. Uh, and in chapter 1, uh, the Hebrew midwives, we didn't read this last week, but just, again, by way of review to kind of get you oriented to where we are in chapter 3, uh, the, the, uh, the book says that the Hebrew midwives feared the Lord, and so they disobeyed Pharaoh. They would secretly deliver the Hebrew male children, subverting the command of Pharaoh. And it's interesting, God's people, I think, have, have always been subversive. They've always quietly stood against the powers that be when the powers that be say, do something opposed to or do something contrary to God's will. And they're willing to bear the cost. And this is no different. And then chapter 2 introduces us to Moses. Uh, if you have a Bible uh, and you've got it open or you're using an app on your phone, which hopefully all the other uh, alerts and notifications are turned off so that uh, while you're in worship, you're not being disturbed. Uh, the first couple verses of chapter 2 say, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his as his wife a Levite woman. And we're introduced to the birth of Moses. Uh, and it's this interlude, as if the narrator inserts a parallel story, as if to say, God might be in the background, and Drew talked about this last week, he might be silent, but rest assured, he's working a plan. He's working his plan. So Moses, who's born to Hebrew parents, uh, parents from the house of Levi, no less, which would eventually become the Levites, also known as the priests of the nation of Israel, and Moses will very much be priestly in his ministry, as we'll see uh, later on. He's hidden, he's drawn out of the Nile by the daughter of Pharaoh, and he grows up as a prince of Egypt. Now, those of you commercial who have not seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, it's quite old. Uh, it's, a, it's an animated movie. If you have kids, shame on you if you've not showed it to them. Um, but in all seriousness, it's an amazing, amazing story. And what it does is it gives us an gives us an idea of what it must have been like for Moses to grow up in the robes of Egyptian royalty and then have to come back to face what the movie portrays as the, the pharaoh that he faces is his, basically his adopted brother, Ramses. So it, it, it helps him be more real, be more human. Now he murders an Egyptian, uh, as you may recall from the story, and he ends up in Midian. He flees out of fear for his life. Now, remember, he's grown up in the house of Pharaoh, which means he looks and talks like an Egyptian, but he ends up marrying a Midianite and learning how to be a shepherd. Well, the very end of chapter 2, which we read last week, again, the narrator reminds us, the people of Israel are groaning under the weight of the taskmasters of Egypt. Their slavery had become awful. 
And that brings us to chapter 3. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Moses, back to Moses. So the stage is set. We think Moses is around 80 years old. We know that from other places in the Bible. Uh, at this point, he's having lived in Midian for about 40 years. So when he escaped, he was about 40 years old. And so that brings us to look at him. So that's what we're going to do this morning, look at the first Moses. What do we learn about God in his call to Moses? Uh, what do we learn here about uh, the second Moses, that is, Jesus? How does the story whisper his name, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says? Uh, and then lastly, how does our experience of rescue empower us to extend the same rescue or experience of rescue, both spiritually and in other ways, uh, to those around us? Uh, and so that's the three points of your outline. So let's take them in turn. Number one, uh, the first Moses. Well, learn a couple of things about God. First, I'm going to look at what do we learn about God and who he calls, and then what do we learn about God and how he calls, okay? So first is, what do we learn about God and who he calls? Well, if you pause for just a minute and think about the resume of Moses, let me just list it off for you here, okay? This is the resume. 80 years old. Nothing against 80-year-olds, but, you know, I mean, they're not exactly who you think of to rescue and uh, lead out a, uh, enslaved people from underneath the greatest military power of the day. But let's keep going. He's the adopted son of the king who has brutally enslaved his same people. He's a murderer. He's been absent from the situation for the last 40 years. So this is a man for whom there's no mistaking his inability and ineptitude to accomplish the mission. He talks about that in chapter 4, and we won't get to all that today, but if you keep reading, you'll see how many objections he had. Uh, he did not, at least at first, think, believe, want, trust that he was the guy. What is his response? You know, he doesn't say, I'm in, sign me up, I love adventures, and I hate that Pharaoh anyway. No, he, he says, um, I, I think you have the wrong guy. The Israelites don't even know me. They won't believe me. What do I say to them when I get there? They'll think I've seen a ghost. By the way, also, I'm a terrible public speaker. That's, in essence, what he says in chapter 4. I'm a slow, I have a slow tongue. He says, oh, Lord, please send someone else. Moses had, had a fair bit of baggage to work through, didn't he? I mean, his story wasn't exactly the picture of faithful presence and service to the people of God. He, he had tried in his own willfulness to deliver them, as you read about in, in chapter 2, when he sees one of his fellow Hebrews being uh, accosted and, 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 and beat by an Egyptian. Uh, he kills the Egyptian, and then a couple days later, the Hebrews said, as they're fighting, he, he meets two. He says, hey, don't treat your brother like that. He says, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me like he did that Egyptian? And it scares him to death, and he flees. He runs. He was a fugitive. He had been an utter failure at his work to rescue his kinsmen. So the question comes, can you relate? Can we relate? Is there work to be done in your life where you find yourself pleading with the Lord, oh, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it? Where you struggle to even have the words to say, where your failure has or is staring you dead in the eyes and repeating to you over and over, you can't, you can't, you can't. 
Well, rejoice because you're in the perfect spot. God loves using the weak to confound the strong. He loves using the foolish to confuse the wise. He loves taking mustard seeds and expanding them into giant, sprawling trees. Why? Because he loves to showcase his grace. Maybe more than anything else. I realize he probably loves to do a lot of things. But for, for our purposes today, he loves to showcase his grace. You know, failure is such a kindness. This is a hard thing to teach uh, your teenagers, for example. Uh, it's such a kindness because it's then that you say what? Well, I can't. I mean, clearly I can't. I just didn't. Right? And you find yourself open to the fact that God can. And your need becomes a door for God to come into your situation and say, I have, I can, I will. So I hope you'll hear in how God calls Moses. That's a little bit about who he calls and what we can learn about him in who he calls. But I hope you'll hear in how he calls Moses something of the wonder of grace. So what do we learn in how he calls? Well, the first thing is where he calls Moses. He calls him in the wilderness. He, he calls him in a dry and parched spot. That's what Horeb means in Hebrew. The mountain of God, Horeb, means dry, means parched. And he speaks, he reveals, he assures, because he's personal. He's a personal God. Uh, God, the eternal king and creator of the universe, get this, the eternal king and creator of the universe lowers himself into a bush amid the dirt and the rocks. Remember, they're in the desert. You could say he indwells the bush. He's present among the goats and the sheep with dung hanging off their tails. He's so humble. God is so humble. And yet God, the eternal king and creator of the universe sets himself apart in holiness and glory. How do we know that? Because he says to Moses, take off your shoes. You can't keep those shoes on and come near this holy place. Even the ground is made holy by his presence. He will not compromise his holiness, even as he lowers himself to associate and inhabit and dwell, in a sense, this bush. Our God is a purifying fire dwelling in a rickety desert bush, but he does so in a way that ensures it isn't consumed. Now, I just want you to wonder at that for a moment. He indwells this little rickety thing that's pr probably, I mean, it's living in the desert, so how vibrant is it, let's be honest. I mean, you would have looked at that bush 24 hours earlier and said, well, you know, if we get stuck out here and it gets cold, at least we can chop that thing up for kindling. That's what, that's what we would have done. But here's the lesson for us. And honestly, if you take nothing else away today, take this. The Lord is committed to indwelling something weak and easily broken without consuming it. And man, that's good news. There is, of course, incredible significance in God's name that's revealed to Moses uh, he's so matter-of-fact, isn't he? When the people ask me, what is his name, Moses says, God responds, tell them what? I am who I am, right? 
Uh, and and the, the Hebrew is a play on the verb to be. So the Lord is basically saying, tell them I am, that is, uh, the, the one who just is sent you. One writer calls this God's isness. Yeah, I don't understand that either. I mean, it's worth laughing. I don't, it doesn't make sense. You know, what can you say about God? He is. Okay. Moving right along then. Uh, in every place, this is the point. In every circumstance, at every point in time, a million years ago, right now, this very second, as you sit in this room, and a million years from now, he is. Uh, and it's not just that he is, that he exists. It's not just that he's everywhere, right? But it's that he's present in a living, active, vital, and personal way. And that's what he wants to get across to Moses. He's, he's endless abundance. He's sufficient in and of himself. He's wholly independent and self-existent in every situation. He is central and he's key or he's nothing at all. Now, if you have trouble adoring God, just go back to this chapter. Meditate on these verses. You'll find yourself adoring him very quickly, even if it's for no other reason than you don't understand. He's revealing himself to be just that as he meets Moses. And how he calls Moses is as a revealer of truth about himself. I don't want you to miss this. To reveal anything to Moses, for God to reveal anything to anyone is grace. He doesn't have to. And the truth of grace is that he binds himself to his own name. Now, when Moses naturally, if you look at verse 12, asks him, after God has kind of finished talking, so God calls him, he says, here I am, and then God begins to talk to him. And what's the first words out of Moses' mouth in verse 12? Excuse me, 11. Who am I? Right? Who am I? The Lord responds by simply saying what? You're, you're, you used to be an Egyptian. You can understand. You speak Pharaoh's language. You'll recognize the area once you get back. You know, you're 80 years old. You've got a lot of wisdom. You can help the people out. You know, I know you've got family back there. Does he say any of that? What does he say in verse 12? The Lord, I will be with you. Case closed. He's not just saying, I'm everywhere, so wherever you go, Moses, I'll be there. He's saying, Moses, where you are inadequate, there's more than sufficient weight in me. I'm the living, omnicompetent God. Not just omnipresent, but I know every situation and every contingency to every situation. Whether you're weak, where you're weak, there's more than sufficient power in me. I am all sufficient, bursting with abundant vitality. And he says the same thing to you and me today. Because he's what? I will be with you sounds a whole lot like what we talked about a month ago, all month, Emmanuel. He's saying, I am who will be with you. I am 
who will fight for you. I am who will deliver, who will rescue you. And surely Moses needed that satisfaction, that sufficiency, that security of knowing who is this who is calling me, right? Now, what's always so neat about reading the Old Testament is that we're reading it on this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is the culmination. If you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity, Jesus is the culmination and fulfillment of everything that came before. And so how does the story point to him? It's the reason why the Jesus Storybook Bible is so popular and why so many of us read it uh, or have read it over the years to our children because we want to show them everything in the Bible is leading to him, right? So where do we see that here? Well, a couple different ways, not the least of which is, look in verse 7. What does God say is fueling his motivation to rescue and deliver his people from slavery and oppression? What's fueling that motivation? Well, it is that I have seen, he says. I have heard, he says. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them. Now, to let the cat out of the bag, in December of this year, we're going to memorize these couple of verses. You know why? Because December is Christmas time. And obviously, in talking about Jesus coming... It was super cool and appropriate that we would memorize him saying, I have come down to deliver them. I've seen, I've heard, I know, I've come down to deliver them. And so God is saying that now to Moses, but there is an echo, and surely, surely, Jesus says it, but surely Moses had to have thought, man, there's got to be more coming, right? God says, their cry has come to me. I've seen their oppression. Now, can you hear this conversation going on in the corridors of heaven in eternity past between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Can you hear them talking? I've seen the affliction. We've seen the affliction of our people. We've heard their cry. We know their sufferings. And the Father saying to the Son, Son, it's time. You got to go down there. You got to deliver them. Now, if I knew you were going through a difficult time and I called you to tell you some of these things, this was kind of the tone of my conversation. And I didn't say I have come down to deliver you, but I'll say I'll come over to help you, right? Or I'll come down to visit you, say you're in the hospital, something like that. The point is, would it ease your mind? Would it give you some comfort? Probably so. It would feel like I was with you, right? We, we say this to one another, and it has the same impact. Only we do it imperfectly. God in Christ has done it perfectly, fully, permanently. The good news of the gospel is he does see your need. He takes action to address your need, and then he works through you, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. He took action. See, our problem, like Israel's, is, of course, that we're enslaved, and, and staying in Egypt will kill you. Drew talked about this last week. If you stay in Egypt, God will bring wilderness to you in it. But the reason why it'll kill you is because the taskmasters of things like money, approval, success, materialism, and so many others, they're relentless. You can never serve them to their satisfaction. They demand ultimate allegiance. 
And so there's a gravitational pull that is so strong, it's like a black hole that just sucks you in every time. You feel like you're always on the cusp of exhaustion? That's because these things exhaust you. They, you serve them. They, they demand ultimate allegiance. Their purpose is to exhaust you. Their purpose is not to give you rest. And so we need a rescue. We need deliverance. Last week, we were reminded the story of Exodus is our story. And we sang the song earlier, right? We need rescue, reckoning, revival, recovery. Four words that, quite honestly, our culture's longing for. Our culture's looking for. But they're enslaved to false sources that promise those same things. See, the first Moses was a mediator between the Lord and the people. He was a Levite. He came from the family that would be uh, commissioned as, as priests. Moses, though, had a reckoning. The time when he was called to account for his actions, to pay his debts, to fulfill his promises or his obligation, and the consequence was not entering the promised land. Why was that? Because the whole first generation of Israel died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. And so Moses' reckoning was to get to the place where he could overlook and see Canaan and not get to enter it. But Jesus, Jesus is the better, the best, in fact, mediator, because at his reckoning, which occurred on the cross, he was called to account, but not for his actions, right? For our actions. He was called to account for our sins. He paid our debts. He fulfilled our obligations. And now, what do we get? Freedom. We're free to follow him into the wilderness of this life, and so we can sing songs like we sang earlier, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. The New Testament doesn't describe the church as having arrived. Quite the contrary. We're in the middle of the journey now, and it's a journey through the wilderness. But the gospel of Jesus Christ would say to all of us, whether you're here and you're a Christian, or you're here and you're not a Christian, follow the greater Moses, Jesus himself, up out of whatever slavery or self-salvation project that you've committed yourself to, and he will deliver you. You'll be revived. You'll be recovered to your true self, the image of God made to worship and serve I am, defined by I am. See, the first Moses provided manna from heaven for the, for the journey. We'll read about that uh, in the weeks to come. But the second and better Moses says what about manna? In John chapter 6, he says, I am manna. You have me, bread from heaven, and if you eat this bread, you'll live forever. It's so much better. Culture says you've got to believe in yourself. You have to achieve self-actualization, whatever that means. But let's be honest, it's exhausting. And see, God was present in and through Moses to deliver his people, but now through the Spirit of Jesus, which indwells us without consuming us, Hint, hint. Remember that? We get indwelt without being consumed, and God is present with us to guide, to comfort, and deliver us. Our confidence and our courage comes in that. Jesus' rescue was final and permanent. Moses was temporary. He only served to a point, then he died. But Jesus lives now. 
And you can rest in him. He says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Look at the assurance of pardon from Colossians uh, chapter 1. It's in your worship folder. But Paul says, in case we forgot, God has qualified you. God has transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Salvation is of the Lord. It's his work. It's what he does. There is no single member of the people of Israel who if you'd have interviewed them, you could have gone through and interviewed all thousand of them or however many there were out in the desert in the weeks after the Red Sea crossing and said, so how did you contribute to getting delivered from Egypt? All of them would have said the same thing. I did absolutely nothing except walked through where Moses told us to walk when he said, stand and watch God deliver you. Now, uh, we got to end. We're going to end at verse 10, which says to Moses, come and to us, come, I will send you. Come, I will send you, in Moses' case, to Pharaoh. But to us, we have a commission similar to, and have always had a commission similar to the Hebrew midwives, to, to quietly but firmly stand against power and confront injustice and enslavement and protect those under threat. And similar to Pharaoh, power doesn't always respond well to being thwarted and subverted, right? Up until verse 10, Moses had to be really encouraged. God's on the move. He's taking action for his people. This is going to be great. And then in verse 10, he says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Can you imagine the look on his face? I wish I'd been there to see the look on this guy's face after he hears this wonderful news about all that God has seen and heard and he knows and he's coming to take action Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. What? Right? But the Lord is sending you, challenging you to go into situations or go to people that might seem insurmountable, even impossible. So the question is, where is he asking you to extend his rescue to others? Where can you participate in that work? Well, a couple of examples from our own community. Go check out Life Choice which is quietly and faithfully seeking to protect children yet born. Take a tour, request an open house, because there's an exodus happening all the time, just down the road. And I don't just mean the the children, I mean the ladies that come in too, being delivered. Or check out the work of the International Justice Mission, which confronts uh, child slavery all over the world and indeed is delivering up out of their own personal Egypts, these children and these families. But it's not only that, it's that we continue to develop a culture of grace and honesty here at Redeemer where we can confess our enslavements to one another. Come, I will send you to a friend who needs your words or needs your challenge or needs your comfort. Remember, sin is a realm, it's a state, it's a domain, but in Jesus, you're in a new realm. You've been transferred from one domain into another one. God says, I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And if you know those stories, these were not paragons of virtue. Okay, Abraham was a liar, kind of like all of us. Jacob was a deceiver, repeatedly, kind of like all of us. And uh, Isaac, he had his fair share of mess-ups, too. But God wants to be associated with these three. God, God, God links himself to these three. Why? 
because these three are who he has bound himself to. And in calling Moses, this God is the same God who calls even us into the unknown. He overcomes impossible odds to keep his promises. He bothers with those who have tried and failed. And he even takes the unpromising material of our lives. He molds it, he shapes it, and he transforms it. You can be certain uh, that no matter where he's sending you, he empowers you to confront oppression, slavery, to rescue, to lead others out wherever it is and whatever it is that they're facing. How can you know? How can you be confident that he's indeed doing this? Because if your faith is in Christ, you're a burning bush. You are weak and feeble, but you are indwelt by the spirit of I am. Not consumed, praise God, but you're ignited toward the mission of rescue. So let's pray and ask him to continue to use us. Father, we wonder at your grace, your grace uh, to use people like us, your grace to work in us, to make us like Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us, for delivering us from the domain of darkness into the eternal kingdom of light, the light of Jesus. Would you, Father, so fill us and encourage us by the power of the Spirit that we would go humbly but confidently into the places and to the people you've called us to, to share the good news of great joy for all people. Use us in spite of our fears and our doubts and remind us you are with us not as a pillar of fire, but through the spirit of Jesus, you're in us. Give us confidence as a result to go wherever it is and to to whoever it is that you send us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, It should be humbling for us to consider that God is committed uh, to indwelling feeble, rickety things and yet not consuming them and using them for his purposes, uh, which are to rescue the world. Uh, from sin and death. Uh, And in the person and work of Jesus Christ, he's given that to us through the Spirit. So receive these words. This is a confirmation as you go, that as you go, he goes with you, okay? So receive these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.